Good morning, Ambassador Church. It's great to be back after a few months of taking a break. Uh, now we are entering into a new season, our Easter season, and we're preaching a new series of messages that I think would be appropriate, especially uh, during this season. It's a series entitled Life Worth Living. And today we're going to be talking about a life that is without meaning, a meaningless pursuit. Well, today, uh, I think all of us are asking the question, does life make sense? Now, I think for all of us, we want to live in, in a, a reality where things are, are, are very uh, reality-based, and we want things to flow naturally. We want a sense of order and familiarity. But sometimes, life doesn't make sense. And in this uh, pandemic that we are facing, uh, many of you are asking some deeper questions. What is the meaning of life? Uh, why is this happening? And these questions really uh, strike at the very core our sense of, of purpose, our sense of reality. Uh, when things like this happen, we're all caught off guard. But this isn't the first time that something like this has been uh, experienced by, uh, in a global pandemic. In 1918, there was actually something very similar. Uh, in the 20th century, this was one of the worst killers of, of of mankind, and this happened in 1918. And according to the CDC website, this influenza pandemic happened because after World War I, some of the soldiers got sick. It was part of what we call the H1N1 virus. And as the soldiers got sick, they actually exported it uh, to their countries. Well, when it came to the United States in the spring of 1918, it is estimated that 500 million people were infected. One third of the population uh, worldwide, there was over 50 million deaths. Hospitals look like this. There were hospitals became morgues. And as we look at the statistic, more people died in this with this virus than in World War I. And back then, they were asking the same questions we're asking. Uh, where is, what is life? And maybe even a deeper question, where is God? In this, when death looms, we begin to question the meaning of life itself. What do we base our lives in? Well, many philosophers throughout the ages have asked this question. One philosopher in particular was a philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher. And he asked the question that life is, is a series of stages. And as we look at these stages, he looks at three particular stages. First, he calls it the aesthetic stage. Second, he calls it the ethical stage. And thirdly, he calls it the religious stage. Uh, if you think about it, this is the way in which many people base their sense of meaning in these stages. The aesthetic stage is the main motivation is the search of pleasure. You could think of this stage as what someone would call psychological hedonism. It's the idea, if it feels good, do it. In this stage, people seek after pleasure for their meaning. Now, when everything's going well, when we have a great economy, uh, this is a stage that all of us are comfortable with. And in many ways, this is how uh, many of our teenagers sort of grow up in our culture. If it feels good, do it. But that is what he calls the lowest stage. The second stage is a little bit deeper. He calls it the ethical stage. In the ethical stage, a person rises above the aesthetics and it focuses on the operation, the rules and laws of society. In other words, it focuses on values. Inclination give away to obligation. 
Here, uh, we are obligated to take care of things other than ourselves. Where the first stage is really self-focus, this next stage may be others' focus. But Kierkegaard says that there's even a higher stage, and that's what he calls the religious stage. For Kierkegaard, who himself was a Christian philosopher as well as a, a pastor, he says that the religious stage was the most important. And it really wasn't just about religion, but it was a belief system. And he says that that stage is where meaning can be found. Well, the question of meaning, I think all of us, as we're asking this question, I think it's an important question to think about. As many of you are sitting in your homes and you're listening to the sermon, you may have asked this question. And as you're sitting with your children, as you're sitting with your family members, it is a universal thing. So where do you find your meaning? Where do you find your purpose? Well, if we ask anybody, uh, our friends and neighbors, oftentimes they would say we find our meaning from relationships, from our family and friends. Or others would say we find our meaning from our jobs and what we do. Or others of us say we find in our meaning from what we possess, our cars, our houses, the things that we have. And as Kierkegaard reminded us is that oftentimes those things do not ultimately satisfy. And here's one reality of life is that life is unpredictable. All those things can be taken away in a split second. As many people are lying in, in hospital beds all across the country and all across the world, the question of what is life all about is a question that all of us have to ask. But it, we have to ask it not when we're laying in a hospital bed. We have to ask that question now before we get to that stage. Well, there was a different philosopher um, that actually lived in the time of the Bible. His name was Solomon. And we see that Solomon was an amazing uh, person in the Bible. He was not only a king, he was also one of the deepest philosophers that the Bible has. And he wrote three books. Uh, in the early stage of his life, he wrote the book of Song of Solomon, which is a book of love, of human relationships, uh, a very romantic book. Second book that he wrote in, in his sort of middle-aged life was the book of Proverbs. These were sayings of words of wisdom to guide young people along as well as society. Some amazing words of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But the last book that he wrote is this book called the book of Ecclesiastes. And if, if I were to liken the book of Ecclesiastes, it would be almost like a journal uh, that he writes at the end of his life. And in this journal, he reflects on all of life. And one of the things about this particular book, as Solomon is writing, is that really one of the key themes is about the meaning of life itself. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 2. He says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Some of the other words that he uses are words like, life is like chasing after the wind. It's empty, living under the sun. And I think the thing that Solomon realized that I think many of us realize is that this life is not all that there is. If we live under the sun, which is a term that the Bible uses to describe a living apart from God, that we find that the things of this world really do not satisfy. And it's a pursuit of something that is almost like a fog that we can't really get a hold of. So the question for us as we are in the midst of this trial as, as a global community is how do we find our meaning? Well, today we want to talk a little bit about this book. And I think for all of us, what we want to do is we want to 
find out what really satisfies. Uh, you know, one of the things about this book is that it gives us a perspective that uh, sort of like a, a road, that, that when we are on these roads, that oftentimes these roads lead to a dead end. And there are four roads that he mentions in this book. And he mentions others, but these are the four that I want to highlight. And throughout the, this book, he highlights these four roads. And the first thing he says is that wisdom itself is meaningless. He says this in verse 12 through verse 18. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on man. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon was considered one of the wisest men uh, throughout history. He was so wise that people would come from other countries to seek his wisdom. There was one particular story in which Solomon, uh, two women came to Solomon uh, because they were fighting over a, a child. These two women had uh, uh, babies, and one of them rolled over their baby, suffocated that baby, and these two women were uh, debating which one was, was this child. Now, of course, they knew, but again, they came to Solomon. Now, Solomon is so wise, he kind of discerned that the situation and in a way that none of us would have probably approached it. Instead of just asking questions, what he did was he asked the guard to take out a sword and cut the baby in half, to give one half to the, to the one woman, other half to the other woman. Well, when he gave that command, one of the women jumped up and said, no, no, that baby is not mine, it's hers, give it to her. But Solomon was so wise that he knew that only the true mother would be willing to give up her baby to the other. And so he gave it to the woman who gave it up. Now that's wisdom. Solomon understood, discerned the things of God, and he was able to make a decision wisely. And oftentimes in our culture, uh, wisdom is valued. Uh, we use the word knowledge. Uh, in our culture, we would say education is valued. And oftentimes we think that the more educated we are, the more fulfilled we will be. Well, in chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, more knowledge, more grief. There's a saying that I think many of us have heard growing up, ignorance is bliss. There's something about not knowing that actually brings greater joy than knowing. Uh, if you've been on the websites of looking at the pandemic and, and how fast it's spreading, the more knowledge you have, sometimes the more grief you bear. So Solomon realized that this pursuit of wisdom from a worldly sense, this pursuit of education was not fulfilling. And for many of us who have been through college, grad school, got a doctoral degree, one thing I've realized is this, that the more education I have, the more I know that I don't know. Because wisdom itself is finite from man's perspective. But the second thing that he pursues is pleasure. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he, he takes a detour in a different road. He says this, that he thought, verse 1, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasures to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I think if you think about our culture, this is where many of us live, this road of seeking after ultimate pleasure. And so whether that be through experience or through uh, uh, medication or, or through any other artificial means, 
we know that there's something that is lacking about pleasure. It's like when you're thirsty and you're drinking seawater. You realize that instead of filling you, instead of quenching your thirst, it actually makes you thirstier. Solomon was a man who had every pleasure at his disposal. He had a thousand wives and concubines. Uh, he had many children. He could experience anything. And yet at the conclusion of his life, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. And I think for those of you who are uh, young, sometimes we get sort of deceived to think that as we look at social media or we look at television, that that is the key to happiness. But if you've ever talked to somebody who's been addicted to drugs for many years or addicted to alcohol, that, that began with such pleasure, often ended in their misery. The third thing that Solomon seeks after is work. And I think this is where many of us who are working adults sort of live. We think that the harder we work, the more meaning life will have. In chapter 2, verses 17 to 26, he says this, So I hated life because the work that is under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You know what Solomon says? After he pursued wisdom, after he pursued pleasure, that maybe my job is my identity, what I work for. In this particular story, he mentions later on this example of imagine if you're an architect and you design this amazing building and then you die and somebody else comes and doesn't care about what you built. They tear it down and they build something else. Solomon realized the futility of building something and working because oftentimes the more we work, the more meaningless life becomes. I think many of us right now are at the stage where we are now changing the way we're working. We're changing it by working at home. And some of you right now who are watching this, you've lost your jobs. Where you based your identity is now all gone. And we realize that even in terms of economics, that it's, it's fleeting. Well, there's the fourth thing. And I think the fourth thing is where I think many of us kind of think where we find our greatest meaning, and that's in wealth, security, riches. In chapter 5, he mentions this in verse 8. He talks about uh, money, and he talks about wealth. And by the way, the Bible describes Solomon as one of the wealthiest men in, in, in his generation. He had so much wealth that he had gold and, and silver, and silver and gold were like pebbles on the ground, the Bible says. He plated all his armor in the finest jewelry that he can find. He was a wealthy man. Everything was at his disposal. But what he says about wealth is this. There's something about wealth that doesn't satisfy. In verse 10, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. If many of you... Um, have invested in stocks. Uh, this past year, you saw the stock market almost go through the roof uh, from December all the way into early March. It was at its highest point. It only took two weeks for the stock market to literally crash, to go into what we call a bear market. How many of us relied upon that as our sense of security? Well, we realized that money itself cannot provide the things that, that we ultimately need. Even though it provides some things, 
that ultimate things in our lives, it doesn't satisfy. And here's the thing about money, that you never have enough. It doesn't matter how much money you have. There's something about money that's a black hole in our hearts. Whoever loves money never has enough. As goods increase, he says in verse 11, so do those who consume them. And the only one who benefits is the owner. In other words, many of us are in this new reality where money itself is not our sense of security. That instead of producing happiness and contentment, it produces the opposite. So the question that we have today is this, where do we find our meaning? And Solomon, as he's writing this book, and and throughout this book, it's it's a great book of wisdom. And in many ways, this book is appropriate for our generation. But in chapter 12, he ends by saying this. And it's, it's actually one of the most profound parts of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach where you will say, I find no pleasure in them. At the end of Solomon's book, his final conclusion is this, that ultimate meaning comes from God. That remember your creator in the days of our youth. And then in the last two verses, he he says this, Now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's the end summary of the book. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or bad. And here's the reality. As you are searching for meaning, you have to realize something. That our hearts were created to have meaning in only one thing. Because our hearts were created to be eternal. We are not animals like the animals of the ground where we die and and we pass on. We are created in the image of God. And so we find our true meaning as what Solomon reminds us when we remember the creator, when we fear and keep his commands. If we want a life worth living, we have to remember this, that it's found in one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Paul says something very similar. In Philippians chapter 121, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is to gain. You know, when I think about life itself, the foundations that we build on is is crucial for the building to survive. For many of us, our foundation is so weak that when things like this happen, pandemics or death or disease or war, that everything that we built our life on crumbles. But Paul says that life that's built on Christ will last forever. As our hearts are created for eternity, the only thing that can satisfy an eternal heart is an eternal God. Paul says that life with Christ is meaningful. And for those of you who have never trusted Christ, maybe your heart is void. Maybe maybe you're filling your hearts with things thinking that it will satisfy. And you realize one thing after another that it doesn't satisfy. Your education, pleasure, work, or the things of riches. But Paul reminds us that the only thing that satisfies is Christ himself. Well, at the beginning of my sermon, I talked about the pandemic in 1918. Ironically, 
The same thing that is happening now happened back then. And churches were responding to this uh, particular crisis. And one of the things that they did in 1918, similar to now, is they began to shut down any public assembly, including churches. And just like today, churches had to find meaning, something greater than just an assembly. And, and one of the lessons I've learned uh, in these last few weeks is this, that the church is not a building. The church is not a location. The church is the people of God. And we find our meaning because we have a relationship with God. And what the church is, is really a collection of people that have that relationship. That we can find our meaning, not in a place that we go, but in a relationship with God. But you know what the church did in 1918 that I think really helped us to understand the role of the church? That the church began to be mobilized in different ways. For example, in October 18th of 1918, in Worcester, Massachusetts, the newspaper called the Daily Telegram shared an example of how Christians were responding to this flu, even as public worship ceased. Women from three local churches were taking care of epidemic orphans, giving not only food and clothing, but supplying them with recreation and giving them instruction. A Catholic women's club brought clothing and food to flu patients, including 28 jars of applesauce, 28 quarts of, of stew, and 35 squares of Johnny Lake. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, October 20th, 1918, the journal found that churches' closure didn't leave the city's pastors with a surplus of leisure, but instead they started publishing their sermons on the newspapers, encouraging the congregants to have what they call home worship and to read sermons. Together, one of the things that the church did was this, that because they found a deeper reality in God, that rather than just kind of being fearful and staying in their homes, they were able to be mobilized to go out to talk about true meaning to the world around them. There's no better time for us to ask this question, is life worth living than this time in our lives? So I want to encourage all of you to remember this, that life is worth living. Because God has created you in his image. And the way we find our identity image back is that Christ is the one who restores that image. And once we have that relationship with Christ, no matter where we may be, whether we are in our homes, whether in our jobs, that we can become agents to those around us. In these next few weeks, it's going to become very, very dark for our nation. Maybe in the next few months. So what do we do as Christians? demonstrate this meaning. One, we can pray. We can pray for our country. We can pray for our culture. We can pray that God would use this epidemic as a way to draw people back to himself. Second thing we can do is we can share the good news. We could share it with our neighbors. We can share it with our friends to communicate with the medium that God has given to us that there is something deeper than the experience that we live right now. So I hope that this message encourages you, that God has something better for you. And we as a church want to celebrate who Christ is. And as we begin this Holy Week, this Palm Sunday, to remember that Christ who came triumphantly to die and resurrect so that we can have meaning in our lives. God bless you. Let's pray.